What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's Adam Spinella's farewell episode. He joined us from, he's taking time away from his very small child, taking time away from his wife, and taking some time away from his new job with the Philadelphia 76ers, where he will be uh, in their scouting room, because of course he is. It's a well-deserved opportunity for Adam. After Adam leaves, which is only going to be like, you know, 10 minutes or so that we're going to talk to Adam, maybe less. Uh, I'm going to go through some NBA preseason news and notes that I've been watching as I go through all these games and try and figure out just some takeaways on some of the teams I was really interested in. I grabbed a batch of like six games that I watched, 12 teams. I'll watch more, you know, and probably do another one of these on the weekend. And We'll just kind of talk through a lot of the different things. That'll be a solo pod, though. And I have some tape, and we'll talk through a bunch of different things that I've seen from guys like Tyrese Maxey, Peyton Pritchard, the Boston Celtics in terms of what they're doing, the Houston Rockets defensive structures, Cam Whitmore. I have a group of 12 teams, and I'm super, super excited. But first, our dear friend, Adam. Adam, what's going on, buddy? Sam, thank you for... uh... Everything and for a lot. And I'm sure I'll get to that at some point. But uh, no, it's uh, a lot of exciting stuff going on. New dad, new job, all these things kind of happening at the same time. Uh, trying to process it and piece it all together and one day at a time here. But uh, very, very, yeah. very grateful and wanted to have one last time to come on here and say thank you to all the Hoopaholics. Yeah, it's been fun. You've been going through this process now for a couple of months and we've been like trying to figure out like how to manage all of it basically. And, uh, you know, luckily enough, like Bryce, you know, is a person that both of us just really love and it was the easiest, you know, way for somebody to step in because Bryce is an awesome dude. He's super detail oriented and everything. And, you know, uh, Basically, you know, I kind of knew where it was going to go from there, but, you know, just, you know, we, we, we kind of, we, we knew that you were going to have to take a minute because we didn't want to make you podcast right after having a baby. So it just kind of worked out perfect that we were just like, oh yeah, Bryce can step in and this is going to work well. Yeah. And, and Bryce, the absolute best, you know, I've been, been honored to be part of uh, the, the Vicini coaching tree now and to have the baton to be able to hand off to somebody who's going to run faster and farther than I ever could. Uh, you know, for me, I'm glad to be the short guy in between Penny and Bryce, um, you know, not the, not the, the low post player, but uh, somebody who just stands on the perimeter and keeps the ball moving. So uh, those two guys are, are fantastic. I, I definitely don't belong in the same uh, same voice as either of them with how detail-oriented that Bryce is and just how unbelievably awesome top-to-bottom Penny has always been. Yeah, no, it's funny that they're both, you know, six foot six, Penny's six foot eight, and here I am just, you know, you and I just five nine, five ten. We're good. We're just chilling. It's great. You know, it, it was it, just the short guys talking about basketball. It's the best. Uh, so... 
I don't think we want to get into the whole process of you getting hired beyond just saying like, a couldn't be a, you know, better group of people that you're working with in Philly. Uh, you know, uh, that scouting staff is just filled with awesome, awesome, awesome human beings. And I'm so, so excited for you to get to work with them. And on top of it, I am excited that, uh, you know, for what you can bring to them. Like, I, I think it's super, you know, your ability to scout on video and to be able to create video, your ability to go in person, your coaching background. It's just an awesome win for everybody involved. So uh, it's going to be a fantastic, fantastic fit for Adam. And it's going to be just like a perfect, uh, perfect little environment for him, I think. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to be amazing. Well, thank you, Sam. And, and look, for me here, I'm not huge on long goodbyes or having a lot of attention or spotlight on myself or things like that. But just a, a couple quick thank yous or, or things to share. You know, I've had kind of two dreams my whole life. Uh, one of them was to work in the NBA. And uh, I am really grateful for kind of a lot of people who have helped make that happen along the way. But two that I want to give a, a quick shout out to first. Uh, one is you, Sam, for your your platform, for believing in me. Uh, I, I know you have really just kind of poured gasoline on my career in a lot of different ways. And I, I so, so, so appreciate that. I mean, the, again, the Vicini coaching tree is very, very real. Um, I wouldn't be in a position like this today if it weren't for you seeing something in me and, and believing in me in that regard. But more than anything from this, it's your friendship that I value. This is a relationship business. Uh, first and foremost. And I am really grateful for not just the time to break down basketball with you, but for the relationship that we have built. And as, as much as anything, you know, to talk about the first part of that, you know, because look, our friendship goes just way beyond like podcasting every week or whatever. But the a, a bizarrely large number of people listen to this show. Uh, I appreciate every single one of you. It's still staggering to me when I see the metrics that, you know, the the, the number of people that listen to the show is so silly to me. Um, and, and I love every single one of you. And that's what I think as much as anything, uh, you know, helped. I, I don't think it was me. I think that, you know, it's the it, it's the lifeblood of this little community that we've built. You know, the people who listen, who come into the YouTube and ask us questions or ask us questions on Twitter and do things like that. So, um, you know, shout out to them as, as much as anything. And yeah, no, of course. And, and you know, it sounded like you had you had one other thing that you needed to do there. Well, well, that was the second group of people for me to thank is everyone who has listened and watched and supported and kind of kept me going in, in that regard. You know, my full time job the last several years has been as a coach or a teacher and a coach. And to have this be my passion project that has really now turned into a career and a career change for me. Uh, those who have supported me and and followed me along the way are, are those who have kept me going and energized to to keep pushing through the last four or five years to uh, create as much as I have on the the YouTube and the Substack spaces, and I'm um, I'm just grateful for all the interactions that I've had. Uh, it has opened so many different doors for me, not just professionally but personally, to get to know people across the world that are so fascinating and, and so smart in a lot of different ways. So, uh, just a, a huge thank you to to everybody who has supported the last couple of years. Um, as one dream begins here, another one ends as well. You know, I've defined myself as a coach for 
pretty much my entire adult life knew this was something I wanted to do when I was in seventh grade and asked my parents to get me a basketball X's and O's whiteboard to draw on while I was watching games on TV. Uh, I've defined myself as a coach for a long period of time because I think the relationships that you have within the basketball world and the ways that the game can impact other people is so, so, so special. Um, So it is very bittersweet to be chasing one dream, but uh, also kind of hanging up the whistle and the clipboard in that regard. So uh, it's, it's with a lot of pleasure that uh, I kind of move on from this right now, but I'm eternally grateful for every aspect of the career that I've had to get along the way, not just the podcast, but uh, every other aspect of my life I've had. Well, and, you know, since, you know, you're going from being coach spins, I think we have to make a name adjustment here. Scout spins. It's uh, it's it's time. The, the the name for people listening, the name has changed on the YouTube screen to Scout Spence because that's who he is now. Uh, look, I, I also want to shout out the YouTube channel that you've built. Obviously, I think that that is you know just been such an enormous benefit to the draft community. Uh, so 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 many people will still continue to go to that channel and will look at everything like that. I hope that that will, you know, remain up and everything for years upon years upon years, because the level of detail in your scouting work has just been absolutely fantastic. And we haven't really even talked about what you're doing with that yet um, in terms of everything, but I'm sure, you know, it'll get figured out. Um, I think that what you have built on your own is just such an immense credit to you. And I'm so, so excited uh, for, you know, you to start this next chapter. I think it's going to be super fun for you. And I think it's going to be amazing. And you get to do it uh, with your wife and a beautiful little baby girl. So yeah. it's going to be good. Um, I'm so excited for that. And speaking of my wife and my baby girl, um, I need a nap and to go see them. It's <laughs> been a long couple of weeks and uh, yeah. I'm starting a new job soon. So uh, again, mm-hmm. Sam, thank you. Thank you to everybody here on the Game Theory Podcast who support of the boxing one along the way. I will miss you all. And I'm grateful for everything that you've allowed me to, uh, to achieve the last few years. All right, folks, Adam is going to be departing. So with that said, say goodbye to Adam. He's the best. Uh, Adam will be entering more private life as opposed to public life, which uh, if only we all could do so, even though I love every single one of you uh, that listen to the show and love all of your feedback, uh, especially. So, as soon as we come back from a commercial break, Adam will be gone, and I'm going to talk about some NBA preseason news and notes. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So 
when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough Uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay. We're back. Adam has departed. Just some quick little updates on the podcast, on the show, everything like that. Go to the YouTube channel. If you do so, you will start to see some YouTube exclusive clips where I will talk through guys tape for an hour, 30 minutes, depending on how much there is to go through. So already I have done about a 70 minute breakdown on Alex Sar. Uh, You're going to get to see why he is considered something like a potential top five pick in this 2024 NBA draft. Uh, We ran through defensive coverages. We ran through uh, some of the things that make him interesting in terms of upside as a ball handler. We have gone through uh, a lot of just interesting things that make him a little bit special athletically as a seven foot one guy versus, uh, you know, even a six foot 10 center right? That can do some of the ball handling and shooting skills that he brings to the table. So go watch that video. Let me know what you think, guys. Seriously, like I said a minute ago, you guys are the lifeblood of this podcast and this show. So I really want to know what you guys think. I want to know, you know, stylistically ways that you want me to go about doing these things. I'm going to do another one today on Bobby Clintman. I know that Bobby had a bit of a rough outing against the Washington Wizards for Cairns. I just want to contextualize that as I did at the end of the last episode where I think they lost 145 to 72 or something. And Clintman uh, went one for 12 from the field. They played two games in three nights here in Australia, then traveled the next day for like 20 hours, then had a practice day, then had the game the next day. The travel schedule was just frankly bizarre and way too difficult, I think, for Karen's to overcome. For him, for Taron Armstrong, I think that game is just a total throwaway in any scouting capacity. But 
he played those two games over the weekend that I just referenced really well and produced. He had 18 in one of them. He had 15 and 11 in another one. I kind of want to break down how he's been productive, but also how he uh, has some things to work on and some defensive uh, improvements and also some things to go through. So I'm going to record that today and then kind of, you know, probably release it pretty soon after I record it, given that it's an Australian player. I think it could actually make some sense to get it out there a little bit earlier. So that'll be coming soon. But first, we're going to talk about the NBA preseason. I'm going to dive into 12 teams, six games that I watched. And, you know, I've watched a few more than six games, but really I decided to sit down and like take notes on these six games in particular. So we'll start with Boston and Washington or Boston and Philadelphia. I'm sorry. I know they've played twice in the preseason. We're going to talk a little bit more about the second game because I watched the second game. Uh, for Boston particularly, which is where I think I want to start, there are two things that I watched Boston for in this little run. And the first one was I wanted to see exactly where Drew Holiday and Kristaps Porzingis would fit into this ecosystem. I thought that it would go splendidly and smoothly. I think it's gone even better through that first these first few games than what I could have even anticipated. Drew Holiday's switching defensive ability, his aggressiveness, his toughness, his just permeated from day one as a replacement for Marcus Smart. And I think that getting that just like little shift in terms of going from smart to holiday, holiday being a bit better of a decision maker, uh, holiday being a little bit more, uh, not as shot happy maybe is the way to put it, a little bit more aggressive driving consistently to the basket as opposed to settling for jumpers, I think is going to play really, really well. And I think that just this possession that we're going to watch here is such an embodiment of what Drew Holiday brings to the table. So you're just going to see here, Drew Holiday is going to switch everything defensively on this possession and just completely shut down everything that they want to do. And then, of course, it ends with an awesome Kristaps Porzingis uh, protection at the basket. And the reason that I wanted to highlight this is just because, to me, this is everything that Drew Holiday is going to bring and everything Porzingis is going to bring defensively. Holiday is going to be able to switch. He's going to be aggressive at the point of attack. You see here he goes for Maxi. He's going to go on to Tobias Harris. They're going to try and run just this little corner action, and they're going to switch that uh, where Drew is going to guard Tucker. And then we're going to see Porzingis contest Paul Reed at the basket perfectly. High high hands, using that seven foot six wingspan, making things exceptionally difficult. I, I think everything we've seen from Boston so far in the preseason makes me believe that this is going to go exceedingly well for the Boston Celtics with these two additions. Now, the big piece of it for Boston beyond those two additions is the bench. And where Boston gets its bench production is going to be the most fascinating part of their team build uh, because they have really six guys, including their three bigs, Al Horford uh, and Kristaps Porzingis. You throw in Derek White, you throw in Drew Holiday. 
uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how they go about structuring that bench. The biggest thing for them that they could get, though, is Peyton Pritchard playing well as a backup point guard who can generate offense. They have enough switchable defenders, Drew Holiday, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, to where I think they're going to be able to mix and match and stagger all sorts of different lineups in as long as they have that offensive firepower when the bench comes in to be okay. Peyton Pritchard has been phenomenal so far this preseason. The game that I watched was actually his worst one of the preseason to this point. And it was just really interesting because I even thought he played super well in that game uh, as I was going through it. Pritchard ended up with 17 points in this game. He had 26 in the first game, 21 in the second game. And what I loved about Pritchard was his ability to get to his spots patiently through ball screen actions and not try and rush it toward the rim, not try and he was just very comfortable operating in that mid range area. And I actually think a big differentiator for him in this capacity is going to be the presence of somebody like a Kristaps Porzingis, especially if he plays with Sam Hauser, because Sam Hauser is going to be able to stretch to the corner and space out that way. And then Kristaps is going to be able to run all sorts of really interesting, you know, trailer three-pointer actions, pick pick and pop actions where he can pick and pop all the way out to about, mm, let's call it 28 feet or so if he really needs to, but especially as a trailer, you can knock down from 28 feet. Having all of that space for Porzing or for Pritchard, which we're going to see here, this is Luke Cornett really here who's setting this screen. You can just see here how comfortable Pritchard is in the mid range area. He's going to be able to snake those ball screens with ease. He's going to be able to get guys on his hip. And he's going to be able to hit that step back. Just look at how comfortable and confident he is getting back behind the three-point line against a drop coverage player here. He's really up the three-point volume over the course of the preseason. And I just absolutely love him having that aggression and firepower. Pritchard signed a four-year, $30 million contract extension uh, so far already this preseason. It's a deal that I really think makes a lot of sense for everybody involved. Pritchard gets that life-changing money that you know he's not going to really have to worry for the rest of his life as long as he takes care of his money at this point. But he hadn't necessarily proven quite enough yet to where you felt like you were going to get him up into that eight-figure range. It's a deal that's sensible for everybody involved. It's a deal where if he shows even a modicum of improvement, He's going to be well worth that contract as one of the better backup point guards in the NBA. I think he can already take those backup minutes and make it work. And then if any growth happens, we're talking about a very real difference maker at a bargain break basement price that within the next couple of years is going to be like the mini mid-level, essentially. The other thing with Pritchard that I quite like, and this is why I actually kind of liked some of Boston's off-season moves. I love the fact that they went and got guys like Delano Banton, O'Shea Brissett, bigger players where Pritchard can just go out there and kind of score. Delano can grab and go on the break. He can potentially be that like 
number three point guard, maybe number four point guard, when you even account for Drew and Derek White in the front in the starting lineup, where if things go wrong, Delano can grab if you see a mismatch that works for Delano, he can kind of be the player that takes advantage of those situations. I, I love what we've seen from the Celtics so far this preseason. But now to move to Philadelphia, which is Adam's team and obviously why I wanted to start here. I love what we've seen already from Tyrese Maxey. And I think that we're going to be in for just an absolutely enormous, enormous, enormous season for Maxey. Joel Embiid did not play in the game that I watched. But even in this game, it was so abundantly clear that Tyrese Maxey's comfort level and the way he's adjusting to the Nick Nurse offense, I think is going to be really, really strong because of how they're going to get him the ball on the move, or he's going to be able to operate in some of those ball screen actions that were so dangerous last season with Joel Embiid involving James Harden. Maxi, you could kind of see it early in this game. You know, Steve Jones, I think, pulled this clip, if I remember correctly, where you're going to see here he's going to get this little screen. He's just going to be able to stop and pop. This is what Tyrese Maxey brings to the table every single time that he's on the court. He has that ability to, if he takes a screen and there is drop coverage, he can go, he can stop and pop. He can knock down that shot probably at 40% if nobody's in his face and you don't get the rear view contest. By the way, notice the uh, just ability to stop on balance here. That's a big thing that I'm going to talk about with Bobby Clintman actually in the video I'm doing today. Uh, balance is such an important thing when you shoot on the move. Maxi is just so, always has his legs under him, always has that perfect sense of having, uh, and he's somebody as well with Clintman. Clintman has that same similar knee collapse. Maxi also plays with that knee collapse going up for that shot on the pull up or on the move. But every time his entire body is underneath him, his base is underneath him, and he goes up and hits that shot. Maxie's going to be a stud this year. I feel full confidence, especially when you account for the fact that what actually makes him such a difference-making player, in my opinion, is the speed. He can play at real speed. He can come off of dribble handoffs and get to that floater game. He can come off of, you know, off-screen actions from the corner. Like you could run like a Chicago action for him coming up from the corner where he's able to kind of go left or right-handed, get downhill, get to the rim, or he can just stop and pop behind that dribble handoff in that action. There's just a lot of different things that you can really do with Maxi that makes him a really, really important threat. But the biggest differentiator to me with Maxi so far has been the ability to get to his passing reads. So what you're going to see here is off of that previous possession, which by the way, I believe was literally the possession right before this one, Maxi comes down, he's going to get a screen here. And again, he's going to reject it this time. I love what Maxi has done in the preseason, actually rejecting screens as well. And what you're going to see is that this isn't even going to be a screen coming up for Maxi? It's actually going to act essentially as a back screen for a flare for Kelly Oubre to kind of get to that corner and be able to take a kick out from Maxi. 
And what you're going to see here is Maxi spins back into the defender because Maxi is on one right now. And because he's so aggressive and confident in terms of the way he's playing, Peyton Pritchard is just staying attached to him and he's helping and condensing down from the wing into that foul line extended area defensively in order to try and shut down Maxi's speed to get him from not being able to penetrate and not be able to get to that beautiful little floater that he has. The problem is that I love how Ubre just drifts to the corner and that little back screen action essentially acts as a flare. And by the time Luke Cornett gets out there, it's too late. It's just a little bit too easy for the Sixers involved here. This is These are just the kind of counters that the Sixers are going to be able to present. And I really like you know what Nick Nurse has brought to the table already in terms of just having more offensive actions, having a little bit more movement. Again, I like that I've seen some things with Maxi getting, you know, essentially on the move before catching the ball and utilizing that speed to such an effective way. That That's really my note for the Sixers. Like, I think Kelly Oubre did a good job knocking down shots. Uh, another quick note, I actually have watched a little bit of Jaden Springer this preseason, and I've wondered if he's going to be able to give the Sixers something. I was thinking that there was a shot. He could be somebody that is in danger of not having his team option picked up for next season, just because the Sixers are trying to be a cap space team next off season. And if they have to rearrange this core, because James Harden departs and they have to bring in another star to play with Joel Embiid, that $4 million in cap space that Jaden Springer brings could end up being somewhat valuable. But I think if I was the Sixers, I would actually pick up that option based on what I've seen from Springer in the preseason so far. Because if he's at this level, at least, where he's able to be aggressive defensively, to be able to provide value with his driving, provide some shooting ability. We'll see if that sticks uh, over the course of the season. I think you could probably get off of that 4 million relatively easily. And if he can be like a cheap value player for them next season, that probably is worth more than declining his option and giving him the 4 million. So that that's been my big thing with the Sixers so far. I love what I've seen from Maxi. I like enough of what I've seen from Springer to where I would pick up that club option. And I would, I, I feel a little bit better about them than I thought coming into the season, to be honest. I thought that it was going to be a bit of a rough go for the Sixers. I thought that, you know, a, a lot of the mess that we've seen from James Harden might end up kind of causing some issues, but so far I think it's actually been okay. And I don't really have much much to say negatively about the Sixers. Let's move on though and talk about the Orlando Magic and the New Orleans Pelicans because that was the other game that I watched uh, that I really, really, really wanted to focus on. The, the Magic are just fascinating to me endlessly and we can start with the Magic because their roster building experiment is something I so wholeheartedly agree with and also worry about just in terms of execution from a shooting perspective, because I love the idea of getting these big high IQ intelligent playmakers, such as Paulo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs has plus size for the point guard position. Uh, Markel Fultz has plus size for the point guard position. 
Joe Ingalls is like six, nine and can really shoot. And, you know, Wendell Carter is a terrific skilled center who can defend in space a little bit and who can knock down shots from the perimeter and who is a really underrated rim protector. Then you also have this push pull of not drafting a ton of shooting outside of drafting Jet Howard this year. I am really intrigued to see what the backcourt becomes there because to me, the best way for Orlando to have success is to rely on what Paulo and Franz bring as shot creators, as ball handlers, and then have fast decision makers who can shoot and defend in the backcourt. And then hopefully also create shots occasionally. Right now, what they have are Jalen Suggs, Anthony Black, and obviously Markel Fultz, who is their starter. None of those guys are what I would call like super impactful, effective shooters from a floor spacing perspective. It's why I actually wonder if like Cole Anthony might get like a little bit more run than what I'm expecting, but Cole Anthony is in a contract year and his extension eligibility remains endlessly fascinating to me because every time I watch him, I feel like he's getting better, but every time I watch the magic, he's the guy that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in terms of what their priorities have been from a roster building perspective. He is very small. He is not like a high level distributor really. Like he can make passes on driving kicks and things, but he does like to dominate the ball a little bit more than some of their other guards do. So I just don't know what they're going to do with him. And it could be something that works, but it could also be something that results in a trade because they decide to get something for him. He is important though, because he can shoot and because he just can kind of go get his shot in a way that even Markel Fultz, who I love and who has really improved over the course of the last two years in Orlando, realistically, sometimes he struggles to create anything other than like a contested mid-range shot that might be a bit of a struggle. Uh, The most interesting thing for Orlando above all though, was I wonder if this was kind of a preview of what the starting lineup would be. They started Markel Fultz, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, Paulo Bancaro, Wendell Carter Jr. And Yes. I think Jalen Suggs was probably a bit of a surprise over Gary Harris in the starting lineup for some people, but I actually loved what Suggs brought to the table. I think he was a plus 13 in this game when he was on the court. I think he was the highest in terms of all of the magic's starters. And you could see it with the way that he made extra passes. I'm going to bring up a clip here now that I just really, really loved from the Orlando magic. Uh, this was just absolutely spectacular offense first and foremost by the magic. You're going to see a pump fake into a cross corner or cross wing kick by Wendell Carter into a Jalen Suggs touch pass before even landing to Franz Wagner. And then we're going to let it roll and we're going to see New Orleans try and pick up the pace and Ingram's going to try and hit this cross uh, or no, it wasn't a cross corner pass. It was a little pass into a rolling Jonas Valanciunas and just look at when 
Jalen Suggs recognizes what's happening here. Look how early he is rotating into the paint as a tagger in order to potentially create something uh, in transition. He sees where this play is going already. And because he is guarding, I believe that's going to be Herb Jones in the corner there. He feels like he can be aggressive going for a play like this. And he gets home and then starts the fast break. And then we're going to get on selfish again. He's going to throw this little pass, another extra pass there from Wendell Carter. Just the whole thing works. The whole thing is absolutely splendid offense. It's perfect. And I'm still all in on Jalen Suggs Island. I know that, you know, I think he had like six points in this game or something like that. Might have had a couple of assists, but he's an awesome defender. He's a ball mover. He's starting to make quicker decisions. And again, like his ability to be a menace on the defensive end is really, really impactful for Orlando. The guy that he reminds me of most right now in terms of what he's bringing to the table is Marcus Smart. I kind of brought that up last year as a pathway for Jalen Suggs to be a really impactful NBA player. And the more I watch him, the more I think that that's probably where this goes, is that it's probably going to be more of a Marcus Smarty style player, as opposed to what I thought maybe coming out of college, where I thought he could be like an all-star. And maybe he gets there, but to me, it's more that I think he's going to impact winning at a super high level and is going to be somebody that you just want to have on your roster all the time. So I loved what I saw from Jalen Suggs in this game. I also want to call out just very quickly. We saw some flashes from Paulo Bancaro in this game defensively. And to me, that's not the clip that we're looking for. Where Where is the clip that we're looking for? Uh, it could be this one. Yeah, it's this one. That's the most interesting sign. And I believe I grabbed this clip from Magic Man 816. Shout out the Magic Man. Paulo had three possessions in this game against Zion Williamson, where he did a really good job standing up Zion on the ball. And I wonder if with Paulo, we start to see him make more of an impact as a on-ball defender against these bigger wings and stronger bodies that try and drive into his chest. I thought he actually did an okay job of that throughout the course of his time with USA Basketball, but watch this play. I mean, Zion's a freight train coming at you. I love here how even though he gets beat, he doesn't quit. He tries to get that late contest, and it ends up knocking off Zion just that little bit, who is a tremendous, tremendous finisher at the basket. This is the kind of stuff where Paulo was quite bad defensively last year. And while I think most of his defensive problems were actually off ball awareness, being in the right spot rotationally, things like that, having moments like this where he can stand up to Paulo and he can contest late and he can, or can stand up to Zion, contest late, can actually stop Zion from getting a wide open shot at the rim. Those, those moments are important to me. And th- those things are the ways that Paulo can improve without necessarily taking a leap on offense in a substantial way. Paulo's probably going to give you a 22 and seven this year, if not more, if he really breaks out. 
but the defensive end is what I'm really looking at. And then additionally, the shooting as well. I would like to see a little bit of growth from him as a three point shooter, but the defense is real. If he can get to a point where he can play solid switchable on ball defense, there might be something here. There might be something where Orlando can be not just like a real play in threat, but maybe a team that like it's a home play in game or, you know, finishes in the sixth seed is like a super surprise. I'm a believer in this backcourt though, in a way that I think others might not be like, I, I think Jalen Suggs can help you win games. I think that Markel Fultz has really grown and matured and gotten drastically better over the course of the last two years. Gary Harris is still like a solid professional basketball player. Cole Anthony can help you as a backup point guard who can get hot from time to time. I have stock in the magic this year. I think they're going to be good. And I think that they're a dangerous team that very few teams should want to play. And I wonder if they're probably right in the ballpark with Indiana, even though it seems like everybody is kind of putting the Indiana Pacers a level ahead of them over the course of this preseason. Now, the next guy we're talking about is Zion because this is the first time we'd seen Zion play on an NBA court in a while. And man, it was so good to see Zion again. It was just great to see him on the court. Like Zion Williamson in this game, he played 15 minutes. My guess is that we saw what the Pelicans are going to do throughout the early portion of the season without Trey Murphy because of his injury. They started CJ McCollum, Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas. And man, was Zion, even though in theory, you think about that lineup, it doesn't have a ton of spacing. Ingram, for being like an effective shooter for the most part, is a very reluctant shooter. Jonas is, you know, even though, again, like an effective shooter when he decides to shoot them, not somebody the teams really guard out there. Herb Jones, definitely not somebody the teams guard out there. It just kind of didn't matter a lot of the time. Zion was still able to get wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And he ended up in those 15 minutes with 12 points and five assists. And some of the most interesting things that I thought they did were when they moved to Zion Williamson at the five. It was just impossible to do anything. Like truly with this team, when you play Zion Williamson at the five, I don't know how you stop them. I truly don't know what a team is going to be able to do to load up enough at the rim, which is what you have to do against Zion. Like you have to load up at the basket or else he's going to plow through your dudes and he is going to finish consistently, regularly. I'm not sure what you do when the Pelicans space you out like this and Zion's just able to plow through somebody like Jonathan Isaac, like it's nobody's business. You even have here Mo Wagner sitting, waiting, trying to be available as a help defender to stop, cut off this angle from Zion Williamson as a driver. He's just going to spin back. He's going to split the Wagner double and it's not even going to matter. Like, even if they don't have shooting, which they, again, because Herb Jones is on the court here, and that's Mo guarding Herb Jones, 
even in these moments where they don't have shooters on the court. Zion is so big, strong, and powerful. It has such like dexterity splitting these doubles and being able to just power his way through with these ball pickups. I don't know how any like forwards, fives stop him. Like, you know, Brian K brings up Aaron Gordon. Yeah, I think he just kind of goes through Aaron Gordon even. Like that that's how strong Zion is. He's a cheat code in terms of strength. Like, I don't know if he would go through Nikola Jokic, but I damn sure know he'd go around Nikola Jokic. Uh, and this isn't to say that like the New Orleans Pelicans are going to beat the Denver Nuggets or anything. The Nuggets, I think, would have a field day with what we saw from New Orleans' defense, especially their bench units uh, in this game. But it was great to see Zion back. We saw also a bunch of moments in this game, and I wonder if this is what we see Willie Green do a lot of the time it was hard not to notice how much like elbow action they were running, not only for Zion, but also for Jonas Valanciunas. Like they ran a lot of entry passes into the elbow for Jonas and were comfortable letting him kind of be the bailout option creator, things like that. But then when Zion was at the five or even when Zion was at the four at times, they throw him the ball. He hit like an awesome cross corner read, uh, to, I forget who it was off the top of my head. He, at one point, just like plowed through and drove by another guy. Then on the third one, he caught at the elbow, left, or he caught at the left elbow, drove left, and then just hit a same side kick out. Because again, against Zion, what you have to do is, to quote Stan Van Gundy, you have to form a fucking wall at the rim. And if you don't form that wall, he's going to score. So, if the best opportunity is a same side help guy, you kind of just have to do it and hope that they miss the three pointer. And I just, I don't know how functional that is uh, for a defense. It's going to be really hard. That's the pressure that Zion puts on you. And then, Oh, by the way, Willie green was scheming up even in preseason, some awesome, like inverted, like one five actions with like CJ McCollum where CJ is out here uh, you know, ghost screening, setting screens, even at times for Zion. It, it was awesome, awesome stuff to watch. I think the Pelicans are going to be really fun to watch. My biggest takeaway uh, beyond watching Zion and the starters, though, was I, I just don't know what this bench unit is going to look like. And it's a real thing that the Hornets are going to have to answer without Trey Murphy, because while Trey is a starter, he forces a different bench player into the starting lineup when he's not there. And if Trey isn't there, it just reduces their depth by that one person. And it could be a bit of a slog, I think for the Pelicans in these bench units. And they're going to have to, my guess on what they do is I bet they play a lot of those Zion at the five lineups with their bench units, hoping to get by doing that. We will see, though. Next up, just a few quick notes on this Brooklyn Nets-Los Angeles Lakers game that I watched. Let's start with the LA Lakers. The Lakers ended up starting what I thought like could have been a pretty interesting preview of what their starters and rotation might be. It was Austin Reeves at point with D'Angelo Russell. 
Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And then their fifth starter wasn't Rui. It wasn't Christian Wood or Jackson Hayes. It was actually Torian Prince. And I think that I like that actually because Prince is a real knockdown shooter with size. And he's at least a big body who can manage defensively against other bigger bodies. He again does sometimes lose his way and help. And I wouldn't call him the most disruptive defender in the way. Like we just watched, you know, Jalen Suggs, right. And Jalen Suggs is disrupting everything everywhere. Torian is like, not that like, he's a little bit longer, but like, he's not going to be disruptive defensively. He's a bit like of a slower Twitch athlete by NBA standards, but Torian Prince can knock down shots and create space for D'Angelo Russell drives. I think D'Angelo in the, you know, game and a half of the Lakers I've watched has actually looked pretty good so far. I think that Austin Reeves looked phenomenal in this game. And, you know, again, we talked about Austin Reeves on the breakout players podcast very briefly uh, with Bryce Simon. I thought that Austin looked absolutely fantastic in this game. He had that little spurt. I believe it was in the third quarter, if I remember correctly, where he just went back and forth up and down the court with Cam Thomas, just going nuts, trying to score, uh, trying to just knock down shots against each other, getting into like a, there's just like a Hooper moment. It felt like where these two were just going back and forth. And, you know, Cam Thomas will do that to you sometimes where he just decides, okay, I'm just going to take over the offense now. And there's nothing anybody on my team can do about it. And we'll talk about that momentarily, but Austin Reeves was up to the challenge and went for it. And I think Austin's going to be in for a huge season. The more interesting things that I saw were, I loved what Rui Achimura brought to the table, essentially as the sixth man. I liked the idea of bringing Gabe Vincent off the bench in order to bring a little bit more stability, maybe. You know that when you have Reeves and LeBron out there, you're going to have that stability offensively with the starting unit. But if you were to bring Russell off the bench and start Gabe Vincent, maybe, I do wonder if, Russell's desire to go out and get his own might make it a little bit more of a challenge for guys like Rui, Christian Wood, etc., to go get their own. I like going with Russell in the starting lineup so that he can go get his. And then I like Gabe Vincent being able to come off the bench and just provide that like steadiness. And honestly, if you end up wanting to close with Gabe Vincent, I think that makes an immense amount of sense for the Lakers moving forward. Uh, the other bench aspect I wanted to talk about was I actually liked the Jackson Hayes minutes a little bit more than the Christian Wood minutes. Uh, Christian Wood is not my kind of player. I've made that clear before on the show. And I want to make it clear too. I want the other half of the game that I watched was the Kings game, I believe. And I thought he played really well against the Kings offensively. I just wonder if Christian for the Lakers is going to be one of those guys where you put him on the court, you see if he has it going that night offensively. And if he doesn't, he plays eight minutes a night or something like that. But if he has it going, you let him rock and you let him play. And if he has like a mismatch advantage somewhere, he plays, you know, 20 to 25. But I thought that Jackson Hayes' defensive ability and just like mobility in general was a little bit more impactful than what I saw from Christian in this game, particularly. And that's a 
really intriguing. I don't even want to say like positional battle because they found 20 minutes for both of those guys in this game. And even if you up AD's number to 30 minutes a game, which I'm sure they'll do throughout the course of the regular season, that still leaves like potentially 15 for both of these guys. If one of those two emerges more than the other one is going to be an interesting question for me. Who is the guy that Darvin Ham ends up trusting when they need, when Anthony Davis gets in foul trouble, right? And they have to go with somebody a little bit longer than what he wants to in the fourth quarter. Those moments will happen throughout the course of the regular season. So that's that that looks like a real battle. I kind of assumed that Christian Wood would get those minutes, but I like enough of what I've seen from Jackson Hayes to where I wonder if he can earn some of those minutes ahead of Christian Wood. On the Brooklyn side, the Nets are in just such an interesting place. Let's start with Ben Simmons, because I was really excited to see Ben Simmons back on the court. And I didn't grab any film of Ben uh, just because I kind of ran out of time before we wanted to record this with Adam because it's late on Adam's end. I watched a little bit of the game against the Israeli team this morning, and then I watched a little bit or I watched all of their game against the Lakers. And I think that what stood out to me about Ben Simmons was he looks confident and aggressive in a way that I haven't seen in a couple of years from him, be it due to the injury, the confidence, whatever it is, like, you know, post Philly, whatever happened with Ben is what happened with Ben. This was the closest through these two preseason games that I've watched parts of now, at least this was the closest to the athletic, aggressive, physical, high motor Ben Simmons that I have seen since Ben left Philly. Uh, On top of it, and I'm glad Dirty Dancer in the comments brings this up, Simmons was moving really well. I thought he moved better than I've seen him. I don't think he was quite back to like the Philly Ben Simmons, where I thought that he had a case as like one of the five best athletes in the NBA. But he was moving like he was aggressive. He was really hounding some dudes at the point of attack. Uh, He had in the game against the Israeli team this like awesome like denial where he ends up getting his hand on the ball with his left hand and creates a transition opportunity and goes up and throws out like a pretty strong dunk. They're also just kind of letting rock Ben rock on ball. They've been saying in the preseason that it is going to be Ben Simmons's show to like play point guard and they'll have Spencer Dinwiddie share it with them from time to time. But like they're letting Ben play point with this team. They're preseason games showcase that like, it really feels like they're letting Ben run this team in a way that I didn't really anticipate being real. Maybe Uh, I I didn't expect them to give him as much latitude maybe as they have. They've they're giving it to him. It feels like they're just giving him the ball and saying, Ben, we want to see if you've got the ability to play on ball and to be aggressive. This version of Ben Simmons is an asset to an NBA team. Like he looked really, really good in their two preseason games that I've seen. And I'm, 
that's a story now worth tracking, in my opinion. Can Ben Simmons get back to maybe not the all-NBA Ben Simmons that he was with Philadelphia, but is Ben going to be able to be an aggressive, helpful player due to his high-level defensive ability? There, there was a point in his career where Ben Simmons was the most switchable defensive player in the NBA. He could guard bigs in miss in like switch scenarios. He could really, really defend guards at six foot ten and make their lives miserable. Could obviously guard wings. He's a tremendous help defender. His ability to use his hand-eye coordination, which is unbelievable, to wreak havoc on just like digs and you know his athleticism to stunt and recover and just fly around the court. I thought he was so, so, so impressive at all of those things defensively. Through two preseason games, it's by far the closest we've seen to Philly, like Philly good Ben Simmons that I can remember in a long time. So I'm really excited to see what Ben Simmons looks like over the course of the rest of the preseason as, as we start this season, because it could be one of the cooler stories in the NBA. I'm actually at the point where I think there is a chance that the Ben Simmons story ends up being a positive one this season. And that's exciting to see. Uh, On the other hand, like Cam Thomas went for 26 in this game. And it's really interesting what Brooklyn is doing with its starters. Brooklyn ended up starting Cam Thomas. Cam Johnson is out of the lineup right now. And I would imagine that Cam Johnson ends up entering the starting lineup for Cam Thomas when he comes back in, but Cam Thomas had 26 points in this game against the Lakers. I thought he was much worse in this game against the Israeli team where it was just, he was like classic Cam Thomas taking too many shots and everything being on his terms. Even in this game against the Lakers, it felt like it was classic Cam Thomas where everything was kind of on his terms in the moments where it was positive as opposed to like playing real high level team basketball. And I've always said that there is a chance Cam Thomas is just such a good scorer that it doesn't matter if everything comes on his terms. He might just be so good at it that you have to keep him on the court for at least 20 minutes a night. That's a story that's important for Philly or for Brooklyn as well, because he is the kind of player that they need offensively in some way, shape, or form to be good. They need a shot maker off the bench who can come in and just get hot and be a microwave guy. The Lakers game was good, Cam Thomas. The game against the Israeli team, I did not love what I saw. Uh, in the like parts of that game that I had on the, the Cam Thomas experiment is a, is a fun one to watch though. And I think that they should certainly pick up his club option uh, moving forward because you know, they, they need somebody like Cam Thomas on this team to go get buckets. couple other notes about Brooklyn <clears throat> shout out Harry Giles. Harry Giles actually started the game against the Israeli team tonight. And then additionally played something like 11 or 12 minutes in the game against the Lakers. He's moving pretty well. Like for a guy that has had as many injuries as he's had, 
I was just really excited to see Harry Giles out there. Maybe I was, you know, overrating in some way the way he looked, but I thought he looked like a real NBA player again and, and looked like somebody that should be on a team somewhere. So I don't know if the Nets have the spots. I don't know if, I don't know who it's going to be, but I really liked seeing Harry Giles get back on the court. I know that he has struggled with so, so, so many injuries, even going back to high school where he tore his ACL multiple times. I love him getting a second opportunity and I love the way he's run with it a little bit, at least throughout the course of the preseason here. Uh, Final note, part of the reason I would imagine that Harry Giles played quite a bit in the game against the Lakers was Dayron Sharp ended up hurting his ankle. It looks like I I have hoped that Dayron would have his option picked up. I would imagine they will pick up his option uh, for that fourth year, because why wouldn't you? But, you know, he's at least on the borderline of somebody that hasn't really shown a ton yet in his career. And you could, if you wanted to be uncharitable, make a decision that could be a little bit more difficult in that regard. I hope that we get to see Dayron in the preseason again or get to see him early in the season so that we know what he is. But uh, a bummer that he got hurt two minutes into his first preseason game. All right. Next up the Indiana Pacers and the Houston Rockets. And I'm going to apologize to Indiana fans because this is going to be mostly Rockets. I'll start with Indiana fans because, because that's just going to be a little bit of a shorter conversation. Just a couple of quick things, you know, obviously Tyrese Halliburton did not play in this game. And I wonder if that led to Obi Toppin, maybe looking a little bit worse than what he could have. Uh, Obi, I thought really struggled in space defensively, but also was kind of just like in the corner a little bit offensively. You know how people with the Knicks used to complain about what Obi Toppin's role was. There's a lot of that with Indiana in that game as well. I wonder if getting back Tyrese Halliburton and having like a transition partner for Obi to play with might really help him get a little bit more engaged and be a little bit more uh, involved in some of the on-ball actions where I think he can be effective as a player. The other couple of notes I had, I like that Jairus Walker has the confidence to shoot. It's very clear Indiana from summer league onward has told him, you know what, we don't really care if you miss threes, just go. We need you to take them. We need you to feel confident taking them. I love that even though he missed them, he came out with confidence. Uh, The last thing that I wanted to note was, I liked what Aaron Naismith brought to the table and I'm really, really, really interested to see what his role is with this team because he start like, he's probably the most like under the radar, somewhat effective starter in the NBA last season. He made his threes consistently. He was an effective floor spacer and he played in this preseason game and actually like didn't really do much behind the arc, but I liked how confident he was getting to the rim and being able to score there a little bit more uh, and getting inside the arc and feeling a little bit confident there, sometimes in transition, sometimes uh, in half court settings. I would just like to see Aaron Naismith. I'd like to see what their plan is for Aaron Naismith. I feel like he's somebody that you could convince me will get like a four year, $50 million extension, or you could convince me that he's like their eighth man this year behind all of the wings that they have, you know, from Ben Matherin who started this game over him to Bruce Brown entering the fold. 
I, I'm just interested to see what the role is for Naismith more than anything. I can't imagine he doesn't at least play 20 minutes, but they also have Buddy Heald on this team. They have a number of different players that could end up taking some of his minutes. And I think he's somebody worth continuing to develop uh, in a way that gives him value. So Aaron Naismith is a guy I'm definitely tracking here uh, early in the season for the Indiana Pacers. Now let's talk about the Houston Rockets. Uh, People on this channel know that I really enjoy watching the Houston Rockets. And I was really enthused by what I saw. I did not watch any of their game so far today. I know that they won seemingly going away, but I loved what I saw from Houston in this game. Let's start on the defensive end first. Because the thing that I complained about with Steven Silas more than anything was them playing drop coverage with Alper and Shangun, who was not big enough, not explosive enough, not long enough to be effective doing that. Fast forward to already the preseason. Just just come watch this clip where you see Alper and Shangun, excuse the camera angle, but you're going to see him. He's going to get a screen set. And he's going to play at the level. Look at him. Stays big. Arms out. He's ready. He's shutting guys off. He's engaged in the action. He's engaged in that pick and roll, which to me is always what you want to do with these guys who are not quite as naturally fast as other players at the center position. As long as they aren't like plotters, you, I think, want to have them play more at the level than you do playing drop because it allows them to keep their momentum moving and allows smart guys like Shangun to try and use their hands, to try and use everything. Like, I, I think that they're really good, you know, uh, playing at the level and being able to recover. Shangun is a perfect example of this. I love the fact that they played at the level. Having said that, the thing you have to do to play at the level is you have to have guards that are willing to get over the top and fight. And I think Houston's guards were much better, at least, than what I saw. And by the way, just watching this clip play out while we're doing it, I can't remember the last time I watched the Houston Rockets, and you just saw these guys rotate across the court and be in position defensively as much as they were in this game. I thought that their defense was so on point throughout the course of this entire game. Dylan Brooks only played five minutes because he got ejected for, I don't even know, like I don't I don't think it was a purposeful shot, but he caught Daniel Tice in the balls uh, trying to get through a screen. What can you do? Not even having him for more than five minutes in this game I think says this defense might even look better, and maybe that's what happened tonight. Uh, again, I haven't watched that game. But I thought that their rotations were so on point in this game. I loved the way that they used Shangun. And I actually love the way that their guards and some of the younger guards as well were willing to fight over the top of the action. Having, let's say, 5,500 minutes this year of Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, and Jay Sean Tate, all three of whom are excellent defenders, is going to be such an enormous upgrade for their defense, in addition to the schematic upgrades that it's very clear 
Ime Yudoka is going to employ uh, with Alper and Shangun and with some of these guys. It feels like there's a level of accountability there. It feels like this team is going to be much, much, much better defensively than what it's been. The other guy that I want to talk about here, Cam Whitmore. Everybody knows that listens to this show that I was quite high on Cam Whitmore pre-draft. I had him at number three. Even if I knew all of the intel that I came to find out, like right after I filed the draft guide, I still would have had him at five. Nothing within the intel package that I got worried me enough to overcome what I think Cam Whitmore's natural tools are. And I think it was just like so overblown everything that came out and like all of the reporting that came out with Cam Whitmore. I've been clear about that on this show since the draft. Cam Whitmore went out in his first preseason game, dropped 15 points in 17 minutes. This is after he just won summer league MVP. At what point do we just say Cam Whitmore's good? And they might have to play Cam Whitmore. I think they're going to have to play Cam Whitmore this season. Just look at the athleticism here. He is the second to last guy down the court here. And he's just so powerfully explosive getting to the rim. He extends those strides out. He has that insane strength mixed with that stride extension that he's going to be a freight train in transition. And oh, by the way, they're going to have all these guys in transition. Amon Thompson, Tari Eason. You're going to have Jabari Smith potentially as a trailer for three. You're going to have even Jay Sean Tate who can run the court really, really well. You have Shangun who can lead the break for others as they run the court and find lanes. It's going to be a really fun bench transition unit for the Houston Rockets. And Cam Whitmore knocked down a couple of threes in this game. He was aggressive in transition. He threw down like a really, really fun drive in the half court. Cam Whitmore might have to play. Like I I didn't quite think he would play like an enormous role early on, but he might have to. He might earn it for the Rockets. He might just need to play. And even me being higher on Cam Whitmore than I think everybody else was pre-draft, that surprises me just a little bit. Next game that I want to talk about here is the San Antonio Oklahoma city game. I talked about that a little bit on the previous episode with Bryce. So I'm not going to go super in depth on it. I just kind of want to give a few notes just from what I ended up watching first. I mean, Chet's just going to be such a problem. Uh, The thing with the Oklahoma city thunder is that they were so effective last season, not really getting anything offensively from their center position. They now have a dude in Chet Holmgren who can grab and go on the break, who can really pass, who can knock down shots from the perimeter, and who can offensive rebound at a high level and can actually just like dribble and create shots. Having that threat of Chet Holmgren out there is going to be incredibly important for the Oklahoma City Thunder's offense, and it's going to make them even better than what we saw last year. And oh, by the way, it's going to open up even more space for these Shea Gilgis Alexander, Josh Giddy, Jalen Williams drives. 
that last year, like there, there was some space, but there wasn't like a crazy amount. And then you throw in the defense where he's going to bring a real level of rim protection. He's an incredible weak side anticipatory defender. Chet was phenomenal. I thought in his first preseason action, he had 21 points in 16 minutes. Uh, He flew around on defense. He hit a couple of threes. He just is going to open up their offense in such a substantial way. The second guy here, I I mean, Jalen Williams. Talked about him on the last episode as a key critical breakout guy before I'd even watched this game, like in full for J-Dub. My God. Uh, Jalen Williams threw down this dunk getting all the way to the rim with ease, which by the way, like you watch him on this one, like just look at him go through Chetty Osman. Like Chetty has been in the NBA for a while. I get that. He's not the strongest dude in the world, but like the shoulder strength, the physicality, like when he gets downhill, it's a problem. And then you're going to watch this play through in the second quarter and you're going to see him come through. He's going to block the shot. And then he's going to come through again for an awesome offensive rebound putback dunk. Jalen Williams is one of the most complete guards uh, for his age in the NBA. He's going to keep getting better. As soon as the shot comes around fully, it's going to be a real problem for opposing teams trying to slow him down and stop him. It's going to be a significant, significant problem. Still, Victor Wembanyama played in this game, and that's going to be what everyone cares about. I mentioned on the last episode that Victor Wembanyama had what I think is the most insane block I think that I've ever seen in my life, and it was on Jalen Williams. I don't understand how somebody can get to this recovery block. I actually truly don't. So Jalen Williams is going to come down. He's going to take just this little screen here from Lou Dort. Vic gets through it and ends up somehow all the way turned around to Jalen Williams. He is looking the exact opposite way from this screenshot and, you know, shout out JT O'Sullivan, you know, on the QB school, never screenshot quarterback. Like you never really want to screenshot, you know, defense either, but he is literally the opposite way. Based on this photo, you would think it would be easier for him to go around the defender behind him and get to this from a rim protection angle. Instead, he goes back where he came from, turns his hips, flips his hips all the way around, and uses that seven foot five with an eight foot wingspan, probably has a 10 foot standing reach, to go and recover and get this shot. I don't think I've ever seen somebody recover like this. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a recovery block quite like that one. It it actually like kind of boggles my mind that somebody this big and this long has that kind of hip flexibility to be able to get back in that play. 
Victor is going to be so special from defense on defense from day one. Uh, they started him next to Zach Collins. I thought Zach Collins played tremendous in this game. I think he had 15 points, five rebounds, five assists, moved the ball super well, knew what he was, can knock down shots from three, and he's physical on the interior in a way that I think you want next to Victor Wembanyama. The other guy that I think is just worth mentioning is Malachi Branham. I thought he played well, got to his spots a little bit more effectively than what we saw in the first season of his career. You know, he was a guy that probably was always going to struggle a little bit adjusting to the speed of the game in the NBA from year one. How he looks in year two is going to be really interesting. I think that's all I've got on this game notes wise. Vic ended up with 20 points in 19 minutes. Uh, the ground coverage defensively was absurd. They used him a lot in the high post. Uh, they used his mid-range game a little bit. But again, like in transition, covering ground as quickly as possible, it, it just like – Vic and Chet were truly awesome in this game. Uh, it was so, so fun to watch them battle and scratch and claw against each other. Okay. Last game here. I don't want to spend a crazy amount of time on this. It was Miami Charlotte. I watched just a little bit of this game. Miami, I wanted to see for Tyler Hero to see how he'd react to all of the rumors this summer. Charlotte, I wanted to see because LaMelo was going to be back. Brandon Miller obviously playing for the first time in an NBA game. Let's start with Miami. Hero was clearly out for blood in this game. My guy took, I think, 22 shots in like 22 minutes or something. Uh, Made nine of them. Looked aggressive. I thought he looked solid athletically. Looked like a guy that was really going to be able to take that next step forward as an offensive creator. Now, like he has to do a little bit more efficiently than he did in this game. And I think that having Jimmy Butler out there, which Jimmy did not play in this game, would help him just from the perspective of getting less defensive attention, because at a certain point, Charlotte was just like, okay, we're going to send all of our guys toward Tyler. And that's not going to happen all the time when Jimmy's out there. But I thought Tyler handled it well. I thought he was moving really well. I thought that he looks like somebody that's going to be in the middle of a big season within two months from now. Next. Jaime Jaquez, I think, looked like the guy on the bench that was going to be the one that really makes a difference for Miami. Uh, He had an awesome, like, triple pivot up and under classic Jaime Jaquez deal. Uh, He had uh, a couple of other awesome made shots. I thought that he moved like an NBA player out there. He was strong. It didn't look too much for him physically. I think he's going to come in and be the guy off the bench that Miami needs next to Duncan Robinson, whatever guard they bring off the bench. And then also Thomas Bryant. I do want to note, like I thought Thomas Bryant was really effective in this game. I think Bryant is a player that probably ends up looking a little bit better in preseason games sometimes than what he does in the regular season, just because he plays so hard all the time. And, you know, in preseason games, you never know what the effort levels are going to be. I thought that Thomas Bryant looked awesome in this game. He got seven foul shots. He was effective playing drop coverage. He's so long. Like, that's the thing. People don't 
understand like Thomas Bryant has like a seven, four wingspan. He's like six eleven, six ten. Uh, he is an interesting reclamation project for Miami, maybe a little bit more so than what I thought. Uh, he, he might be something, especially if the shooting really returns to what it was prior to his injuries. Uh, if he's able to shoot, he might be like a real useful big for them in the way that I'm kind of expecting like Orlando Robinson to be as well. Charlotte. Look, so let's start with this. I think they treated this game probably as like an actual dress rehearsal. It seemed like LaMelo was back. The starters were LaMelo ball, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington, and Mark Williams. Obviously you will note there, no miles bridges, uh, miles bridges, uh, has a criminal summons that has been issued for him. Uh, according to you know, numerous reports, I think the athletic got the actual uh, form as well uh, for violating a domestic violence, protective order, misdemeanor, child abuse and injury to personal property. Uh, that is a criminal summons. That is the incident that led to the summons occurred around 9 p.m. on October 6th at Bridges's residence. Uh, according to a police report obtained by ESPN, the criminal summons itself describes a series of events during a custody exchange between Bridges and his former girlfriend with whom he has two children. Bridges, uh, according to the summons, is accused of throwing billiard balls at her vehicle while the children were inside of it. Get this dude out of the NBA. like. Get, get this dude out of the NBA. I, I was clear that I didn't think that the Hornets should have retained him throughout the summer. Like I just the, the Hornets need to start operating, frankly, like a professional organization and they need to really like make a statement at some point. They have released Kai Jones. I, I would hope that, a is, is the, obviously there has to be an investigation with Miles Bridges again for the second time now, and Miles Bridges suspended for the first ten games of the season as it is. I would hope that the Hornets do not let this continue. I, I think they should uh, be waiving him. Uh, assuming all of this is proven as accurate in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it, just, it's it's crazy. If this is proven in any way, like the student needs to never play in the NBA again. And I think, frankly, you should never play in the NBA again, even prior to this incident, but it's clear that, you know, the Hornets disagree with my take on that. Uh, hopefully they make the right call here uh, following this. Getting past that, moving to the basketball side for the Hornets. Look, I thought they played okay. I didn't love. I just I'm struggling with the Lamelo experience a little bit, just because I did watch again a couple of minutes of the Washington game tonight, and you just continue to see these hideous shots that go up again and again from LaMelo that make things more difficult for his offense. Those, those like bad pull up threes, the one tonight that's like clear in my ma- my brain is like he shot a pull up three in transition with 21 seconds left on the shot clock after a steal. And it's just, there's nobody under there to rebound. And it's just like, what are we doing? 
Like, what, why are you, why are you doing this? There's no, there's no reason for this. And LaMelo, like they played better than Miami when LaMelo was on the court in this game, in a game that the Hornets ended up losing by 20, he was a plus 16. I, I thought that he, Mark Williams, Gordon Hayward specifically all played really, really well in that game. And I, just process wise, it feels, it feels jumbled and difficult in my opinion. Uh, for the Hornets, even still. And uh, I just, I'm interested to see where the LaMelo experiment, and that's not even an experiment anymore. They've given him a max contract. I'm interested to see how LaMelo plays this year for the Hornets because they have enough talent to be competitive and tough and physical. Uh, maybe not tough and physical, but they're going to be tough and physical just because Steve Clifford is their coach. LaMelo needs to bring it this year. This is a real prove it year for LaMelo ball. And, you know, it's preseason. You never want to overreact obviously, but you know, some of the process based things that have annoyed many throughout the early seasons of LaMelo's career have continued to rear their head in these, you know, couple of games that, you know, I didn't even watch the full game that happened against Washington today, but, uh, just the, the process needs to improve a bit for LaMelo. He has all the talent in the world. He can be great. It's just the process has to get a little bit better. Uh, last thing, Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller, I thought, looked the exact way that he did at uh, Summer League for the most part. I thought that he moved a little bit better. I thought that, like, it seems clear that he looks a little bit stronger and healthier than what he was like coming off of the pre-draft process where he got super sick to start and lost some weight and then playing at summer league right after getting drafted, probably didn't have a chance to really dive in and like get himself back into like full game shape. I would imagine. I thought he looked to be a little bit more explosive, even though he didn't shoot it well in these games, the shooting is like the biggest question for me with Brandon Miller, not in terms of can he shoot? I think he can shoot, but like at what level does he shoot? Is he a 36% three-point shooter or is he a 40% three-point shooter? Because there are two very different things there. And if he's a 40% three-point shooter, it's going to work way easier earlier in his career than if he's like a 35, 36 guy. And he like, he might struggle a little bit earlier this season, just adjusting behind the NBA line. Uh, then 35, 36, I think long-term, like that's the floor. He'll be fine as a shooter, but that that's it. Like what is Brandon Miller as a shooter? Is he a great shooter or is he a good shooter? If he's a great shooter, the transition will be much easier for him, but he's one for eight so far in these two games. Never want to overreact to a two game sample. He had a huge dunk wiped away uh, in this game against the wizards earlier. It, it does feel like it's going to be a, bit of a process with Brandon, but I think that he looked from a movement perspective and from like a overall explosiveness and general strength perspective, I think he looks a little bit better than what we saw at summer league. Even if I think there might be some growing pains uh, throughout the course of the season for him. Okay. That's all I've got. I'll be back over the weekend, probably to record something else. If not, Bryce will be back with me on Sunday. We'll probably talk a little bit more preseason. We might start to get into some draft stuff. Again, as I noted right when we started the show, 
hit that subscribe button on the YouTube channel because we're going to have a YouTube exclusive video going up where I break down tape of Bobby Clintman, dive deep into everything that he's been able to showcase so far for Cairns uh, over the course of the two games that we just saw last weekend where he played pretty well and still displayed some of the things that you know NBA teams want to see a little bit more of. So excited to go through that. We'll go through the tape. We'll break down. We have a little pen. We'll, you know, explain what's going on in the court as we run through these things. So excited to do that. Go to the YouTube channel. <clears throat> go to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. Wrote a thing with Kelly Eco on the Houston Rockets. I have a couple of things next week that I have to go up uh, about college basketball guys that I'm excited to watch. That's all I've got, though. So until next time, we'll talk soon.